welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford and Woking in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. It's a joy to have Jill with us. She doesn't really need any introduction, but for those of you who don't know her, she's the Director of Spiritual Formation. She's the director of spiritual formation, um, and she, mostly she is just tremendous fun and incredibly wise, and we are so thankful to have her with us as part of our church family with Kirk, and we are really looking forward to everything that you have to say to us this morning. Thank you, Bill. <laughs> I just, um, yeah, God's so good, hey? He's so, so good, and he has more for us than we could ever imagine. We've got prayer week coming up. You saw the advertisement on Emmaus News. This is exciting. Prayer is a core spiritual practice for us as a church community. We were birthed out of prayer. We are sustained by the presence of Jesus as we lean into him in prayer. I'd encourage you. It's actually, I have good news. The good news is there are 17 slots still available in the prayer room. So you won't miss out. The really good news is they're all in the middle of the night, <laughs> which means that it won't conflict with anything on your calendar. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to going online tomorrow and seeing all the slots full. I'm actually doing a night watch myself, which anybody who knows me, I'm, I'm not an owl, I'm a lark. And so I, but I thought, well, I can't ask you to do what I'm not willing to do myself. So I'd encourage you to join me and try meeting with Jesus at night in the prayer room. You never know what might happen. Anyway, I'm, I'm really privileged to be here, part of this sermon series following the way of the king. Of course, it began with Adam giving a wonderful introduction, overview, just kind of surveying the territory going ahead for us. And, and then my dear friend Eric, I loved Eric's talk. Eric has this great ability to encourage you and spank you all at the same time. <laughs> it's like a kiss and a kick. So I felt both comforted and afflicted by Eric's talk. And then I couldn't see Rachel myself. Is she here today? Where is she? Okay, how many of you enjoyed Rachel's talk? <laughs> Somebody from the front lines, the trenches, talking about how to be salt and light. I listened to it on my way uh, this weekend. It's fantastic. And um, so good to actually hear from people in Marketplace about how this lives itself out, right? Out there. So we're really grateful for you stepping into that space for us. And then it's going to go on from here on the weeks after, and, and uh, we're going to jump into some really meaty stuff in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is going to talk about all the hot topics, murder and adultery and divorce. It sounds like HBO, you know, it's just, you know, all the, all the difficult bits. And, and he's going to bring his own interpretation to what the law and the prophets say. He's going to say, you've read that, blah, 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 blah. And then he's going to say, but I say unto you, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so he's interpreting it, and, and it's going to be really good. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what, what comes out. But what I am, what I'm going to do, I'm the in-between bit. I'm the, the preamble to the, to the meaty stuff that's going to come in the next couple of weeks. 
Because what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount, he's, he's, he's painted this beautiful picture in the Beatitudes. He's issued this fantastic invitation telling us who we are as salt and light. And then he does this wonderful thing. He establishes his authority and he addresses his critics. So think about it. Think about Jesus here. This is the beginning of his ministry. He's the new kid on the block. He's the new guy on the preaching circuit. So does he have any podcasts? Have you listened to them? You know, does he have a Twitter following? How many Twitter followers does he have? I think I have about 14 Twitter followers. I get really excited when it bumps up to like 15, you know. Did Jesus have a Twitter following? Where did he come from? He came from Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Oh, maybe he had good parents. Maybe he came from a good family. So who were his parents? Oh, huh. Joseph, a, a carpenter, a layperson, a, a blue-collar worker. That's his parentage? That's his lineage? Oh, maybe he went to a good school. Maybe he went to Oxford, maybe even Cambridge. <laughs> did <he go? laughs> Where did he go to school? Who is this guy? He's just this nobody who showed up nowhere out of the blue. Who is he? And why should we listen to him? And there's rumors. There's rumors. There's rumors that he hangs out with all the wrong people. You know, women of ill repute and tax collectors and sinners. I even heard it said that he's broken the Sabbath. This guy, he doesn't play by the rules. He's a lawbreaker. He's not a lawgiver. He's not a, a law interpreter. How can this be a holy man, and why should we listen to him? So in the face of these criticisms, Jesus pauses before he begins to unpack his interpretation of the law and the prophets. And here's what he says, Matthews 5, 17 to 20. I think it's on a slide. Is it? Did we get it? All right. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. So he's addressing, he's a lawbreaker. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but I've come to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And this might seem like a foreign concept to us, but Jesus, his Bible was the Old Testament, right? I mean, think about it. The New Testament hadn't been written yet. He just had the law in the prophets, and he knew it. He understood it. It said that, that he's quoted from the Old Testament in his teaching. He quotes the Old Testament 78 times, and not just one book. It's not like he had like one favorite little bit that he just kind of hammered over and over. He quotes from Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Ezekiel, Jonah, Micah, Malachi, just across the full breadth of the Old Testament. It's a basis for so much of his teaching. Jesus referred to the Old Testament as the scriptures, 
the word of God and the wisdom of God. The theologian Adolf Schlatter says this, Jesus saw his entire life calling in the scripture. It was not marginal, but it was absolutely central to his life. His whole life was consumed with this to do what each commandment commanded. Here's the one man, the one man, the first in history who not only knew the word, but did it. Jesus knew the Old Testament through and through, and he lived by it. He did it. And we've got this wonderful example in the, the baptism. Jesus goes to be baptized, and John the Baptist is feeling a little embarrassed by this situation. It's like, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and you want me to baptize you? But Jesus says, no, you, I, you have to do it. This must happen so as to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus wanted to fulfill the law. I've not come to abolish it, but rather to fulfill it. I want to talk for just a couple of minutes. What does it mean that Jesus fulfills the law? Let's just turn on our slide. I've got it here to uh, Luke 4, verses 16 to 20. This is a familiar story. Jesus went up to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, went to his home church where he hung out. On the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. And he said this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. Everybody was watching him. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The word fulfill in Greek is pleurosi. It means to accomplish, to obey, to bring out the full meaning, to complete or bring to its destined end. That's what the word fulfill means. And, and here's the thing about Jesus. He's so, you know, I don't know why people think Jesus is a nice guy. I don't think he's a particularly nice guy. I think he's subversive. I think he's confrontational. And he, he just stirs it up. But here's, when he starts to make statements like, I've come to fulfill, I've read this, I've read this passage, and now it's being fulfilled right now, here and now. He's inferring it's being fulfilled in himself. And here's where we have to decide what we think about Jesus. Because we can, we can think, and many often people think, oh, he's a, he's a good teacher, he was a good man, lived a good life, I'll watch it, and I'll, I'll just kind of do the things that he did. But actually, when we look at some of the things that Jesus said, he does not give us that option. He does not give us that option. C.S. Lewis says it just beautifully. He says... <laughs> You know what, Jesus, he's, he's, he's given us three options. When we look at how he lived and when we look at what he said about himself, Jesus is either a lunatic or a liar or he's the Lord. He's either a crazy megalomaniac sociopath or he's out of his mind 
or he is who he says he is. And here's what Jesus is saying about the scriptures. He's saying, this book, this book that you revere, this book's about me. Everything in this book points to me. You know the whole sacrificial thing? You know, you take the lamb and you sacrifice it and you pour out the blood on the altar for the remission of your sins? Yep, that's about me. <laughs> that's what he's saying. And, and, and in Proverbs, Proverbs 8, there's this beautiful story, this image of, of wisdom co-creating with the Father daily his delight and delighting in, in man and creation every day. And Jesus is going, yeah, that, that bit there, that was about me. And the Psalms are full of these amazing, beautiful Psalms. We call them the Messianic Psalms that foreshadow, that speak the reality and the truth of the Messiah, who Jesus is with us and for us. Even the Psalm that starts, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which, of course, he quotes at his crucifixion. He's going, this is my book. This is about me. Isaiah, the book of Isaiah for the virgin will bear a child. A shoot will come out of the stump of David. Everything in the Old Testament points towards this man. So what Jesus is saying, this whole narrative, this whole book that you built your religious systems around, this is my story. I am the main character. I am the climax of this story. I am the point. I am the final word. Not only that, I am the author of this story. Not only that, I am the word itself. And we see his disciples understood this. We, we, we read the beginning of the book of John. In the beginning was the, the word. And the word was God and the word was with God. We've seen his glory full of grace and truth. So either Jesus is, um, again, as I said, crazy megalomaniac going... Yeah, this is all about me, guys. <laughs> or he's lying to us. Or he is who he says he is. And I'm try I was trying and thinking and praying about how do I describe to you the relationship between the law and the prophets and God revealed through his son, the word. And I came up with this little exercise. Can we try something together? Is that okay? It won't be dangerous, trust me. So close your eyes. You don't have to. This is totally optional. If you wish, close your eyes. Picture a dark landscape. It's dark. And then all of a sudden, there's a flicker of light, a little candle. And that's Abraham. He's holding it. And then, and then just over there, there's a torch burning on the right-hand side. And, and that's, that's Moses. And then a little further, we see Isaiah, and oh, David's got a couple of candles there. And then there's a, there's a bunch of little candles off the other way. Those are the lesser prophets. And there are these lights, shining lights, over the course of the history of Israel, bring light and illumination. They're beautiful. But then the sky begins to lighten, and the darkness begins to recede and the sun of righteousness rises with healing in his wings and the light that gives life to all men has come 
The writer of Hebrews says it this way. You can open your eyes. <laughs> Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 3. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And through him, he also made the whole universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So Jesus is the word of the Father given to mankind. And because of this, he is uniquely qualified then to rightly interpret the Old Testament. He's uniquely qualified. He is the one who can say, you have heard, but I say. You have heard, but I say. Those are his unique qualifications. I want to move on and uh, look at another part of this passage in verse 20. Jesus says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom. And let's talk about the Pharisees for a second. Anybody love the Pharisees? Yeah, I, do you know what? I, we have a little song in Canada. It's really hard using cultural references from back in Canada because they don't compute here at all. <laughs> so in Canadian Sunday school, we had a little song going, I just want to be a sheep, ba 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 ba. Anybody sung that one? All right, okay. Well, there's a verse that goes, I don't want to be a Pharisee because they're no fair, you see. I just want to be a sheep. Anyway, so we don't like the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees are like, boo. If there, was, if there was a pantomime, everybody would boo. There's the, there's the cultural reference, right? The Pharisees would come on the stage and be like, boo. Look who's behind you. Yeah, all that. So. <laughs> the thing about the Pharisees is they really wanted to please God. They sincerely wanted to be holy. They just didn't understand how it worked at least in this new dispensation, now that the son of righteousness has risen. They tried to use the word from the outside in. Just tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. I want to do it right. I want to please God. I want to fit in. I want to fit into this religious community, right? What's everybody doing? I'm going to try and do it. I got to tick the box. Tell me what to do to be righteous. Tell me what to do to be holy. It's, like, it's almost like dressing up. Let's just put on the, the holiness clothes. <laughs> Let me tell you what Martin Jones, he's a theologian, here's what he says about the Pharisees. And what did Jesus have against them? He says, they're sincere guys. They're trying to be holy. They're trying to figure it out. They want to obey the word. But here's the problem. Jones says this. The Pharisees saw religion as an external thing instead of a religion of the heart. As I said earlier, they were trying to be holy from the outside in rather than the inside out. So this is the question. When nobody's watching, <laughs> when nobody, when I'm home alone and I'm on Netflix or doing whatever, whatever, I, those are those moments where I find out if I'm holy or if I'm merely socialized, right? Trying to be holy from the outside in. The, the Pharisees were more concerned with the ceremonial than with the moral. 
We can hold a good service. Yes, we can. We got a great Sunday synagogue service going on. Pretty awesome. Yeah, but I'm not really going to do anything for the poor, and I don't really want to see if any of my clothing is ethically, resor- you know, all this stuff. I don't want to pay attention to any mercy and justice kind of stuff because we got a good service happening on the Sunday or the Saturday. <laughs> More concerned with the ceremonial than the moral. Primarily concerned about themselves and their righteousness. Here's the problem with ticking the box. Okay, I got my boxes. I'm going to tick the boxes. Here's a temptation, human temptation. We all do it unless you're far more spiritual than I am. I look over at the other person's box to see if they've ticked the same number of ticks that I've ticked on my box, right? No, you've never done that? You're all more holy than I am? We measure ourselves, right? We measure ourselves. And you're either gooder than or less gooder than, badder than. <laughs> There's somewhere on the spectrum and you find yourself on and you're consoled that you're better than the badder than and you're like, you know, cranky that you're not as good as the gooder than. <laughs> and the last problem with the Pharisees is they're interested in the minutia, the details rather than the principles. They're interested in action and activity rather than motivation. They're interested in doing rather than being. And here's what Jesus says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees or the teachers of the law, you're not going to enter the kingdom. And you're like, but God, I'm trying to be good. These are like the super good. And I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to be a good person. At least I'm trying to be a better person like Eric over there, you know. And, and I'm, 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 trying to, I'm trying to fit into like life at Emmaus and do the right things and wear the right clothes and all of that stuff. <laughs> But why should we settle for being good? Why should we settle for being a good person? Why should we settle for merely being a good person when the invitation and the opportunity is for us to be completely transformed? Why settle for being good when I can become a new creation, when holiness can come from the inside out? So instead of playing dress up, instead of trying to put on our best behavior, why don't we open ourselves to God and receive him? Why don't we, why don't we receive him as that living word to come and make his home within us? We see it foreshadowed in the Old Testament. There's some beautiful invitations. The writer of Hebrews quotes Jeremiah in Hebrews 8. And he says this. Let's pull up the next scripture. This is a covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on your hearts. So instead of God's word coming from the outside into us, all of a sudden it's written in a heart and starts to change us from the inside out. Ezekiel's prophecy, I will give you, so the next slide, I'll give you a new heart. Anybody want a new heart? Anybody glad they got a new heart? I'll give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. This is pre-Jesus, you guys. This is prophesying the spiritual reality that we all get to live in now. I will give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone. I will give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit in you. 
and I will move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. Here's the, here's the distinction that is so important. Here is what Ezekiel is saying is I will move you to follow my decrees. Which means when I think about the commandments of Jesus and all the stuff that's going to unfold in our subsequent weeks as we're looking into the Sermon on the Mount, it's not going to be, oh, I have to. I have to. But God, by virtue of indwelling us, living in us by his words, he changes the disposition of our heart, our longings and our desires. So instead it's like, I get to. I get to. I get to be holy. I get to do this. The scripture said, it's God who's at work in us to will and to act according to his good purposes. He's the one who draws us into holiness of life, makes us a new creation. So what does this mean for us, Emmaus Road Church? Why does this matter, this little piece of theology? How many of us are playing dress up? How many of us are just trying to adapt uh, and acclimatize ourselves to church culture? How many of us are just trying to tick the boxes? How many of us are trying to be good or gooder? Those things are not the good news of the kingdom. The good news of the kingdom is that we can receive Jesus. We can believe him. And he can come and indwell us. And his word, his living word, can then become enfleshed in and through our lives. We become new. We become transformed. Transformation sometimes happens a little tiny bit at a time. Sometimes transformation happens, there are suddenlies when God breaks in. But ultimately, when we receive Jesus, when we believe he is who he says he is, not liar, not lunatic, but actual Lord, God of all creation, and the ultimate final word of the Father, we become changed at a molecular level. Everything inside of us changes. And everything is possible. So what I want to do is I just, I'd encourage us, let's just stand together. Some of you have known Jesus for a long time. This isn't new news. It's still good news, but it's not new news. Some of you are just figuring out all this Jesus stuff. Who is this guy? And I just want to lead us in a prayer where we would invite him to come and indwell us. And you may have prayed this prayer a million times already. Still pray it again. Pray it again. And this might be the first time you pray something like this. So we're just going to pray it together. I just encourage you again, completely optional, you guys. It might be helpful for some of you to place your hand either on your heart or on your belly. There's something about physicality when we do something actually physical and, and posture ourselves. I'm just going to pray a prayer. You're welcome to join me just in the quietness of your heart, if you so desire. Jesus, you are the eternal word of the Father. 
You are his last and best word. I'm tired of trying to be good or gooder. I want to turn from that. I want to turn from trying to be holy from the outside in. And I want to face you. I want to receive you, Jesus. And I invite you to come and indwell me. I receive your spirit. I receive your spirit. And I thank you that I am a new creation. And the old is gone. And I'm alive in you. Come and make your word alive in me so I get to, <laughs> I get to, I get to, rather than having to. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. This is the gift of righteousness that God gives us, which is greater than the righteousness of the Pharisees. This is the gift. For those of you who that's kind of a new thing for you and you've got questions about who Jesus is, Alpha starts this week. It's not too late to join, so talk to Sammy or look at the website, signed up online. Ask your questions about Jesus and who he is, because he'll take you on a journey you could never imagine. So thanks so much, and I think Bill's going to take it from here.